Well, today we're going to continue our series through the Old Testament. And uh, we look at one of the most significant events in the history of Israel, the Exodus. I can break that down into three parts. First of all, there was the release from bondage. You recall how Moses, being used of God, led the people out of Egyptian bondage. The second part was their journey through the wilderness, and the Bible says that they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because of their lack of faith and disobedience. Thirdly, they eventually came into the promised land. Now, that can parallel our spiritual journey, which also has three parts. Our journey begins with justification, and that is when we are set free. That is when we become a believer, we commit our lives to Jesus Christ, we are forgiven of our sins, and now then we are freed. That is called justification. That is followed then in our journey, which is called sanctification. Now that's where we are now. We are in the process of sanctification. And so on our journey then of the Christian faith, God is working in your life with all of the events, all of your circumstances for the purpose of conforming you to the image of Jesus Christ. So there is justification, that is our release, sanctification, that is God working in our lives during the journey, and then finally glorification, and that's when we come to the promised land or we enter into heaven. Now, we're going to look at a story from the journey of the Hebrews today and draw some parallels concerning our own spiritual life. So take your Bibles, turn with me to Numbers chapter 21, and we'll begin reading in verse number 4. Then they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient because of the journey. And the people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this miserable food. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. So the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and you. Intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard. And it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he shall live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on the standard. And it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. Most journeys begin with a great deal of anticipation and joy. And we can only imagine the joy of the Hebrews as they began their journey. They were free. For the first time in many of their lives, they were free. And they began the journey with great joy. We used to have a little dog whose name was Sid. She was a schnauzer. Now, I say about Tex, my current dog, that... He's a Christian dog. I'm not sure that Sid was. But when we would take Sid out, if we opened the door, she was gone. 
I mean, she would run out that door as quickly as she could, and we're running behind her, we're yelling at her, we're trying to catch her, we're screaming for her. She's just running as fast as those little legs will carry her. And I swear she looks back with a big grin on her face. There is the sheer joy of being free, even though it was momentary. Well, I can imagine the Hebrews, as they have been set free from these years of being in bondage, and now they are free. The future looks bright to them, certainly brighter than it had. And so there's great joy. Most journeys begin with joy. Most of us begin a journey with great anticipation and joy. That's true of marriage. When two people are planning to be married and they have all of the arrangements and they anticipate the time when they are going to be married and there's joy and excitement and anticipation, even when the bride and groom stands before me at the altar, I see the joy on their faces. And I think they don't have a clue what they're doing. <laughs> but the journey begins with joy. When children are born, there is a new beginning and great joy and anticipation. I still remember when my children were born, when Stephanie was born, and I held her for the first time. I remember the feeling that I had. I was scared to death. I remember when Eric was born, and they held him up to the window for me to see, and the anticipation and the joy that was there. I remember when Hank was born. We got a call in the middle of the night. Eric told us that our grandson had been born. I'm talking to him on the phone, and I look around, and Linda's packing. I mean, it's the middle of the night. And I said, what are you doing? She said, well, I want to get there before Jane gets there. <laughs> now, Jane is Emily's mother. And we did get there before Jane got there. But there was great anticipation and great joy. When we get a new job, there is the excitement of beginning a new job, a new, a new phase of our lives, even when we were saved. You remember when you were saved? The joy, oh, happy day, happy day, when Jesus washed my sins away. And the, and the joy that began that journey. And uh, all of your bad times, now they're behind you, and there's not anything except joy and excitement and enthusiasm in front of you. All of God's people are kind and gentle and perfect, and everything is wonderful. Well, the delights of the journey. When we begin a journey, it begins with joy. But then there are some detours that can take away our joy. I've told you the story before, but it's still etched in my mind. Linda and I and our family had, were going back to Texas for Christmas, and uh, so we were traveling along. We came to Shreveport, and there was an ice storm, and uh, so the, the, the roads were glazed over with ice and were slipping and sliding. We slide off the, the highway and get a hotel and spend the night and get up the next morning, get in the car, and there's snow around and so forth, and we're trying to get to Fort Worth, and, and uh, we don't get too far, just about to Longview. And there's a long hill at Longview, and when we got to Longview, the cars and the trucks are backed up, stopped. Nobody's moving. I come up there and I stop. Well, I struggle with patience, and so I sat there for two or three minutes, and then I, I, 
I wanted to know what was happening. I got out of my car. There was a truck up there, and I knew they had, you know, those little radios and that he would know. So I got out of my car, and I walked up to the truck and, and uh, saw the guy inside, and I knocked on his window. He looked at me with a certain amount of disgust and rolled down his window. He said, yeah. I said, what's your problem? He said, Slick Hill. I said, I assume that. But what are they going to do? He said, boy, if you know so much about it, why don't you get a job with the highway department? <laughs> and I thought, this is not going anywhere. And so I turned around and I start walking back to my car. There's another man, apparently about like I was, got out of his car. He's walking up. He said, what's the problem? I said, Slick Hill. <laughs> so I got in my car and, and I was able to turn it around there in the median and we start back and I take off. I don't know where I'm going because I'm just going on back roads. You know, as long as you're moving, I'm okay. And so I'm going back there. We're slipping and sliding around. I'm mad. Linda's scared. Sometimes our journey has a detour that takes away our joy, and certainly that was true with the Hebrews. They had many detours on their journey. That's the reason it took them 40 years. And they have one here when they come to Edom. In fact, if you turn back to chapter 20, verse number 17, now Moses sent some messengers to the king of Edom asking him if they could go through their land. And so in verse number 17 of chapter 20, please let us pass through your land. We shall not pass through field or through vineyard. We shall not even drink water from a well. We shall go along the king's highway, not turning to the right or the left until we pass through your territory. So they said, can we just go through your land? Because that was the direction they were going. We're not going to bother anything. We'll not eat your food. We'll not drink your water. We'll not do anything. Probably they were somewhat optimistic because the Edomites were related to the Hebrews. Esau, the son of Isaac, was the father of the Edomites. So he might have felt that they had a chance. But their request was denied. Chapter 20, verse number 18. Edom, however, said to him, You shall not pass through us, lest I come out with the sword against you. So they might be relatives, but they're not in the best stead here. And so they had to go on a detour. Now look at verse number 21. Thus Edom refused to allow Israel to pass through his territory, so Israel turned away from him. Now when they set out from Kadesh... The sons of Israel, the whole congregation, came to Mount Hor. What you need to understand is that this is in exactly the opposite direction. So they came to Edom, needing to go through there to the promised land. They were denied their request. So now then they have to go in the opposite direction. There is a detour. We experience detours on our journey, don't we? You know what I've discovered? Those detours normally come after a victory. Those difficulties normally come after a victory. That was true with Elijah. Elijah had been up on Mount Carmel. He called down fire from heaven, a great day of victory against the prophets of Baal. And then we see him next under the juniper tree. Normally, the difficulties come after a victory. You know why I think that is? I think it's probably that we become vulnerable because we become lax in our prayer life. You see, when I'm on the mountain, everything's going good. It's when I'm in the valley that I'm seeking the Lord.
It's when I'm going through a problem that I'm seeking the Lord. And I think the reason that most of our detours come after a victory is because we have experienced the victory and we are not praying as we should. And so when they come, we are discouraged. You'll see there back in our text in verse 4, Then they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient because of the journey. They were impatient. They were discouraged because now then they're not able to go the way that they needed to go. There is a detour. And they're not able to continue their travel. Uh, Elijah had a detour, as I mentioned. He had been up on Mount Carmel. And, and then after that great victory on Mount Carmel, Jezebel threatened his life. And so he takes off running from Jezebel. We see him under the juniper tree, and under the juniper tree, Elijah is complaining, Lord, I'm the only one serving you. Why is this happening to me? Lord, I am the only one that you can really count on. Why then is this happening to me? Now, folks, some of you are going through, through a detour right now. I don't know what it is. But some of you are on the journey with the Lord, and you're going through a detour, and today you are discouraged. The journey begins in joy, but detours can take away our joy. And there is always a degree of danger when we're on the journey going through the detours. One is doubt. When we are on the journey with the Lord and there is a detour that comes up, something we have not planned for, there is the temptation of doubt. And that was, that's what happened to Israel in verse number 5. And the people spoke against God and Moses. You see, they lost their vision of the promised land and all they could see was cemeteries. Now, did they begin to doubt because this detour is there, because they are not able to advance as they needed to? So they began to doubt. Difficulties in life, detours in life cause us to doubt. We begin to wonder, does God really care about me? Does God really care that I'm going through this? Does God really care? See, that was the question of Gideon when the angel came to Gideon and said to him, I want you to lead my people against the Midianites. I want you to lead them in battle against the Midianites. And in Judges chapter 6, verse 13, Then Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all of this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of of Midian. You see what happens when we're going on a detour? We begin to doubt. We begin to doubt that God cares for us. I think most of the time we decide that God does care. He does love us. But maybe God just doesn't have the power. Maybe God doesn't have the ability to meet the need that we have. So on the detour, there begins to be doubt that leads to disappointment. And so back in verse number 4, it says, Then they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. They were traveling in the opposite direction, disappointed. 
This is not the way they had planned it. And they are disappointed. When these things happen to us, we all are disappointed, aren't we? I mean, we get married and there's such anticipation and joy and hopes and dreams and so forth. And then there's the frustration that begins to develop. Or we're going through life and everything seems to be going good for us. And then the doctor tells us that we have a, a disease or we have a health issue that we have to deal with. And we become disappointed. Then people disappoint us. They're always defectors. And that was true with uh, Moses, Aaron, and uh, his brother, and Miriam, his sister. They rejected his leadership. And the Bible says in Numbers 12, too, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And that was his brother and sister. And they rejected his leadership. You know the story of John Mark in the New Testament. He was on a missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas. And in the midst of it, he decided that he wasn't going to go. And he turned and went back home. They were disappointed, I'm sure, in that. And then there's Demas, one of those who worked with the Apostle Paul. And the Bible says in 2 Timothy 4.10, Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Are, are you ever on a detour and you become disappointed with people? i got one amen down here. Sure. People disappoint us. In the church, we're always disappointed when someone gets upset or whatever and they say, well, I'm not going to stay there. Now, if they, if, if, you know, I mean, if they decide that, then they should go somewhere else. But we're always disappointed with it. And yet George Barna said that each year one out of seven adults change churches. But that's still disappointing. You know, I mean, we're on the detour. We're, we're trying to get to where God is leading us to go. We're on the journey. And then there's disappointment. People disappoint us. It begins with doubt, and that leads to disappointment, and that can turn into disgust in verse number 5b. Why have you brought us out of the Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no food, no water, and we loathe this miserable food. They were disgusted. We hate this food that we're eating. It says in Numbers chapter 11, verse number 6, Now our appetite's gone. There's nothing to look at except this manna. They were disgusted. They said... All we have to eat is manna. God had provided. The Bible says it was angels' food. But you see, they began to doubt the Lord, and then they were disappointed with, with God's provision, and then they were disgusted with it. There is a danger that our disappointment becomes disgust with God. And be careful with that. I'm on the journey, going through a detour. I begin to doubt... I'm disappointed, and then I'm disgusted. My marriage is falling apart. Lord, I've prayed, and you've not done anything. It's still the same. Why don't you do something? Lord, I've tried to serve you. I've tried to be faithful to you. And now I have a health issue. Why don't you do something? I've heard about you healing other people. Why don't you heal me? Lord, I've tried to be faithful to you. I've been actively involved in your work. I'm a tither, and now I lose my job. Why don't you do something? We become disgusted with God. There's the dangers of the journey. And our response can lead to discipline. 
Because God disciplines His children, just as you did. The Bible says that God disciplines His children. Now, His discipline can seem severe to us. If you look in verse number 6, And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. I want you to notice the Bible says the Lord sent the fiery serpent. They didn't just show up, the Lord sent them. And the Scripture says that many died. Folks, we need to understand that God is a loving God, but God disciplines His children. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, 6, For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. God disciplines us because He loves us. I've had parents before to tell me, Well, you know, I just love my children too much to discipline them. And I get in trouble there sometimes because my response is, No, it's not that you love your children too much. You love yourself too much. I just don't want to hear them cry, and I don't want to make them mad, and I don't want to disappoint them. Let me tell you something, parents. If you love your children, you discipline them. That's what the Bible says about God. Because God loves His children. Because He loves us, the Bible says that He disciplines us. As a matter of fact, the Scripture says that our rebellion against God can lead to physical death. The Scripture says in 1 John 5:16, there is a sin leading to death. Now, God's discipline can seem severe to us, but God is just. He is a loving God. There is no question but that God is a loving God, but understand also He is holy. And He cannot turn a blind eye to sin and rebellion. His discipline can seem severe. But he is just. Now, the Lord doesn't abandon us on the journey. He, uh, he offers deliverance to us. But now I look at Israel in this passage of Scripture. They had to deal with their sin. There was admission in verse 7. So the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and against you. They acknowledged their sin. They confessed their sin. God, we have sinned. We have spoken against you. We have spoken against uh, the leader that you have chosen for us. And so we have sinned. And they made a request in verse number 7b. Intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. So they said, God, Moses, we have sinned against the Lord. We acknowledge that we have sinned against the Lord. Now then we are asking you to intercede on our behalf and ask the Lord to remove the serpents. We see the answer in verse number 8. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, set it on a standard. It shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he shall live. Now, God did not remove the serpents. See, that's what we want God always to do. We always want God to remove those things that make us uncomfortable. God did not do that. He provided a way for them, deliverance for them, but He did not remove the serpents. They had to acknowledge their sin, confess their sin, and the Bible says that we do too. The Scripture says in 1 John 1, 8, 9, If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins. Now, that is written, of course, to Christians. If we say we have no sins, we're deceiving ourselves. We're not deceiving anyone else, we're deceiving ourselves. He says, but if we confess our sin, and what is the promise? If we confess our sin, what does the Bible say? He continues, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
there's deliverance offered on the journey. Moses, we want you to ask God to remove the serpents. Well, God didn't remove the serpents, but he provided deliverance for them. Now then, there's a decision, a lot of decisions on the journey. God's provision here in verse number 8, The Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, set it on a standard, it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he shall live. God's provision was a fiery serpent. He said, You make a fiery serpent, put it on a standard, everyone who looks at it will live. Israel had to make a decision now. Verse number 9. And Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on the standard. It came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. Not, folks, not everyone was healed. Only those who looked. Those who looked were healed from the serpent bite. Not everyone. Just those who looked. You say, well, that's an interesting story. You know why it's important to us? Because it is analogous. Jesus is the brazen serpent. The scripture says in John 3:14 and 15, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes may in him have eternal life. What we need to understand is that we are on a journey, that we all are sinners, and God has provided deliverance for us. Now, God will not force you to look and live. He will not force you to look to Jesus. It does not happen automatically. Some people think that, you know, it just happens by osmosis. It happens automatically. That God has provided a Savior, therefore I'm saved. It is a decision. You have to decide as to whether or not you're going to look and live. Jesus told the story about a broad path and a narrow path. He says the broad path leads to death. Narrow path leads to life. He says travel the narrow path. But it's your decision. The Scripture tells us in Deuteronomy 30:19, I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse, so choose life in order that you may live. There are some of you who have not begun the journey with God. My prayer is that you will do so today. That you will say, I want to journey with God. And you'll commit your life to Jesus Christ that you will look and live. Become a child of God. There are some of you who are on the journey. And you're going through a tough time. You're on a detour. I want you to know that God knows. And God cares. And God is going to be with you every step of the way. Keep walking with God. No matter what you're going through, you keep walking with God. But it's your choice. Our Father, we come to a time of invitation, a time of decision, a time when we must decide if we will look and live. And I pray, Father, for those who have never committed their lives to Jesus, that today they might. I pray, Father, for those who are on a detour and they're having a real struggle. I lift them up to you and ask, Father, that you encourage them today. Uh, The commitments that need to be made, I pray they will. In Christ's name, amen. Well, in just a moment, we're going to stand and the choir is going to sing the hymn of invitation. This is an opportunity for you to make a decision. If you're without Christ, come today and receive Him. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. I hope you'll come. 
Stand with me, please. As we stand and the choir sings, you come. I'll greet you as you do.